0: Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Nathan Herndon. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app or website for ways to give. All right. Yeah, let's get just give that Haiti Bible Mission team one more round of applause. Thank them for what they're doing. Ultimately, Jesus, a round of applause. So good. Um, if you missed our Wednesday night service, which 90% of you did, um, this past Wednesday you would have heard from the Haiti Bible Mission team. And man, so much good stuff was there. Uh, so I just want to thank those of you who came out uh, to Wednesday to hear from the Haiti Bible Mission team. I hope you enjoy those $100 bills that we handed out that night. Uh, that's a line just trying to get you to come out to the next one. Uh, but uh, yeah, guys, we, uh, we, we have to keep our hearts in tune with what God is doing here and in our homes but also in the nations. It has to be both. We don't get to choose one or the other. We don't get to say we like the local church or we, or we like missions. It's, we have to love them both the same. What God is doing in here, he wants to do out there. Uh, worship exists because missions doesn't, right? Or missions exist because worship doesn't, all right? So uh, we believe that here, and uh, we want to see the nations making much of Jesus. And so, uh, so it's really, really good. So thank you uh, everybody who's serving in uh, in beautiful ways uh here and around the world um we are continuing our our kingdom family series this morning this is uh we've got two more weeks including today so i'm speaking this week and then next week and we're wrapping up this series has this been a good series for you guys we've been trying to uh handle this well i, I sure hope um the uh Yeah, forgive me if I'm I'm struggling. I grabbed the mint backstage just a second ago and I took a bite of it and it broke a tooth in my mouth. So yeah, so strange, If if any dentists here, Even now, if you could come uh, take a peek, I'd love that. Uh, But uh, um, we are continuing the series today. And uh, as we go there, I won't have any uh, verses on the screen today. It's just one of those days that was intentional. I want you to grab your Bibles. Uh, I want you to flip them. And so I'm going to be sharing a bunch of verses. uh, And uh, and you can just follow along in the scriptures. We're going to go old school today. Before we open our Bibles, though, there's a bunch of things on my heart. I'm just going to kind of rapid fire these things. Number one... The first two Sundays in September, listen to this, first two Sundays in September, right after the service, in the prayer room. We're setting up a, uh, a studio for anybody who has a testimony, 30 to 45 second testimonies, stories of what, about what God is doing in your life, how he's used uh, you know, this series, how he's used something in, uh, in, the, in your neighborhood, just anything. We have to brag on God and we have to begin to catch uh, the move of the spirit and God's given us great, uh, a great team here. And God's given us great technology to be able to catch some of those God stories. And so I just want to begin to, uh, you know, get your heart ready for that 30 to 45 second testimonies, and we're going to be capturing. I hope we have a hundred of them, guys. We will stay as long as you do to capture these. And so that is going to be the first two uh, Sundays in September. And so please uh, be bold and courageous. If we need to hold your hand while uh, while you're uh, sharing your God story, just don't back out on this one. We want to hear your story. Okay? Um, number two, we have the wind conference coming up, and it's right around the corner. Um, this is something, it's been a pioneering work. Not everybody really understands the wind conference here. And I just want to tell you this today, without really preaching on it, I just want to tell you for us to do a wind conference, it takes this whole church. Um, this isn't just Phillips' thing. This isn't just a creative thing or a worship thing. This is a Providence thing. What we're doing is we're, uh, is we're making the Wind Conference like our, our hub for the year where our church gets to be blessed and you will get blessed. We're bringing in some of the best speakers and some of our favorite friends in for the Wind Conference. But it's also a time where we want to think about not just what God is doing at Providence. Listen to this, guys, all right? Not just what God is doing at Providence, but what God is doing in the region what God is doing in the area. In order for us to do that, in order for us to welcome other churches, other youth ministries, which they're coming, actually, in years past, other churches have come way more than Providence. And this year, guys, I I need you as the pastor of this church to come and help us host other churches, other ministries. We've been inviting people from other countries, other, other states, and people are coming here, just listen, just to hoist our hearts, to catch the move of God in our day, in our generation. That's all we wanna do. We just wanna carve out some time to do that, and this year we've got, uh, we've got some great speakers coming in. We have three tracks to help teach train and edify people we've got a track for leaders all right so if you're a leader in the church or if you're a leader uh, at, at home or if you're a leader at uh, at your place of employment man there's going to be a wind in your sails for leadership we've got a track this year just for gen z which is my favorite track that's the track that i'm in i'm only 25 years old i'm going to be there all right it's going to be the happiest track it's going to be the best track we've got the best speakers coming in to speak to gen z and so we're inviting other youth ministries we're providing space on on our our 70 acres just for camping. If you don't even want to come to the conference, you just want to come camp, all right, you can do that. We'll let you. We hope you come join us, but we'll let you. It's going to be a great time. And then there will be a worship track for people that have dedicated their lives to lifting up the name and the fame of Jesus to the ends of the earth, which is what worship leaders do. And we're thankful for them. And so I'm I'm asking you guys to come and be a part of that uh, just today, there is a uh, a special rate that we've got going for uh, for Providence family, and you can actually instead of going online or whatever, you can actually go meet uh, a. A wonderful person out at a special wind conference booth in the foyer. Hug on them, bless them, and sign up today. So I am encouraging you guys, please please come to this. We're trying to host well as a church, but uh, hosting well takes the body. It takes the community. And so I'm asking you, even get your kids out of school on Friday when we're going to have Brian Barcelona in, who who <laughs> is the is the leader of uh, uh, he, uh, of a great ministry called Jesus Generation, I believe it is. All right, and he's going to be coming in from Texas, and that's going to be like a huge Gen Z day. So I will sign your kids' excuse slips that day for you, and if you don't, I will anyway. Now you be parents, but let your kids even skip school that day. I promise you. Don't you? Do you want do you want kids that get A's, or do you want kids to get B pluses with a fire in their heart? Come on. So uh, that's that's what I'm encouraging you to do, and so uh, so that's something going on. So please uh, sign up today. Leader Group, this is the last day to sign up for Leader Group. Leader Group is a 10-week, man, this is a lot, is a uh, 10-week group uh, with me and my wife, Adrienne. If you're interested in leadership at Providence, you, uh, from here on out you have to go through leader group um, you can't go around it you can't do it if uh, if you if you like us uh, like us or not you have to go through leader uh, group to get into leadership at Providence and I think it's going to be a happy time a fun time I think we'll giggle I think we'll cry I think we'll have a great time together but you have to go through this and so you can sign up for leader group at the uh, at the desk I think we've got 35 people signed up already and I know I said I was going to cap it at 25 but I'm just like you know what whatever if a hundred Hundred people sign up. You're in. It's going, to be, it's going to be a fun time, and so we're going to have fun together, but please sign up uh, today. It's very, very important that you do that. This one, let me change the tone for a moment, and I don't want us to get, I want us to get sad, and I want it to, to turn into uh, action-oriented intercession, all right? Uh, but this past week, a few days ago, Lou Halstead, one of our elders at Providence, had a heart attack, He had triple bypass surgery, I got the permission of his family to share this, triple bypass surgery just two days ago and he's recovering well in the hospital. And so we're going to contend for him in prayer right now. And we're going to not put up with this in our house. Amen. <laughs> this is one of our finest. Lou, Lou uh, is, we see him on, on the stage. He's got a heart for Jesus. Uh, he, he's come out of the, like the Jesus movement, doesn't he? He's, he wears all, the, all the, the flower shirts and stuff. He's, it's like he's from the original Anaheim Vineyard, you know, but he loves Jesus so much. And, uh, and he, he's so important and dear uh, uh, to us here. And so what I'm asking and what the family is asking is that you all don't pummel the family with how's he going, what's, what's he need, all right? If you wanna know what Lou and Angela and the family need, ask us or ask Bennett, their oldest son, all right? But do, do not reach out to them, is, is our request. Uh, we will keep you posted as much as we can, but do pray for them, and then we will be supplying meals for them at least for a while, and so sign up for that today. But can we just, can we just uh, cry out to God for a second? Let's, let's get a, a militant here, all right, for a moment. So Heavenly Father, we cry out to you for Lou, We pray, Lord, uh, first of all, prayers of thanksgiving that that, uh, this was caught and the doctors had a successful surgery, but we pray that you would do what the doctors can't uh, can't do. Heal him in record time. Give him a whole new heart. Give him a whole new everything that he needs, God, and bless this man. Heal up the family from this trauma, and we just bless them, and we declare today that Lou and his family and the legacy that he uh, leaves and the ministry that he has is going to be greater in his future than it has been in his past, God. And we just pray that the, what the enemy has attempted to do here, he would, uh, he would be extremely unsuccessful and that Lou, God, would come out of this stronger in you and uh, with a better heart, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen, amen. Let's thank the Lord in advance. A round of applause for what God's gonna do. All right. All right, so... We are gonna be talking about kingdom family today, so grab your Bibles. If, if you wanna open them to Ephesians 5, 31 to 33, you can. I'm gonna be whipping through that passage because it has been important to me during this series that I recap a lot. And if you're tired of the recaps, I, I, I don't apologize, but I do understand. Um, the, what I'm trying to do is, I, is I'm trying to, uh, instead of covering tons and tons and tons of ground, uh, with practical how-tos, I'm trying to slowly build a biblical, theologically firm uh, doctrine of family in the church. How many of us know that family gets a bad rap and it kind of should? It's a, it's a place that has caused a ton of pain, but that wasn't God's original design. Amen. God's original design is that family was way more happy, way more holy, and way more powerful and fulfilling originally, and we wanna tap into God's original design, amen? So we're slowly building a foundation. We've, we've read through Ephesians, we started with Ephesians chapter 5, 31 to 33. Here's what we mind out of that. Number one, marriage is a covenant union. It is not a contract. It is a blood covenant union. It, you, you don't remove marriage by signing a document. Marriage is a covenant union, not a contract, and we've been trying to press into that. Number one, we said marriage is starting a new family. Here's what's not starting a new family, is shacking up with somebody and just telling your family, hey, you have to respect what's going on here. That is not starting a new family. Families start with covenant. Families start with covenant promises, That's a new family. Don't try to wield authority that you don't have if you're operating in the perversion of marriage, all right? Just by kind of living together and then demanding. You don't have the authority that you're looking for there. You have to operate in covenant. All right, so it's starting a new family. Did that come off too strong? Like, is someone texting me here? Like, yeah, like, like knock it off. Uh, but uh, here's the other thing. We said, we said this, and this should all be recapped, but, but it's like every time I say this, it, it hits a different way. So I'm just going to keep saying it. Number uh, three, I, we said that the context for sex is not love. Guess what the context for sex is? Covenant. right? So many of us say, well, we loved each other. We could, we were just so in love. And I say, man, that is great. Love is great. It is not what green light sex. Guess what green light sex? Covenant does. Covenant does. And so, man, that is a, that is a, a crazy thing to say nowadays in hookup culture, when you have body counts and you celebrate all that stuff. But you know what body counts in the kingdom originally? is your husband or your wife. (laughs) That is your body count. No one to compare your spouse to, all right? So the context for sex is covenant. And then we said that marriage is ultimately about Jesus. I think so many of us think that marriage is, is ultimately about me finding my soulmate. It's not, your soulmate's not your spouse. Your soulmate is a man named Jesus. All right. So I think so many of us we've gone into marriage hoping that marriage would ultimately satisfy us. Let me let me save you some time right now. Marriage will not satisfy a thing if you're not first and foremost satisfied by a man named Jesus. Marriage is ultimately about Jesus. What 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 the marriage is 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 this God's greatest walking, living, breathing illustration of this is the kind of relationship that I want to have with my people. I want it to be spicy. I want it to be intimate but it's got to be built on covenant and then I don't let you go so marriage is ultimately about Jesus and if you're married listen your marriage and holding on to your marriage and covenant keeping love is proclaiming to the world the kind of God that we follow all right this is all recap right all right good now, then, after, after we hammered that, we, uh, we looked at God's original design for family in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And we said that family, we said that relationships, they have a designer. In other words, you did not design family. And if you're trying to, you need to stop. Because family and the dream for family did not come from you, did not come from this culture, did not come from this world. The dream for family and marriage and love and sex and beauty and children, it came from God. It was his idea. It was his design. So the goal of family is not to figure out how you do it. The goal of family is to figure out how God designed it. Hello. You do you doesn't work in the kingdom. The goal is not self-discovery. Well, how do you define marriage? How do you define family? How do you define fill in the blank? Well, it doesn't matter. We need less of our opinions, less less of my opinion, and more of the heart and the dreams and the truth of God and his design for marriage. It should be no mystery if you're trying to operate outside of God's design, why it doesn't work and why you feel broken and why it feels like I'm working uphill both ways. Listen, because you are, you're not the designer. You need to know the designer, then submit your relationships and your whole life and your whole everything to he who designed what you're after. All right? He's not trying to help you express yourself or figure out, figure out how you do it. He's trying to show you how he does. And that's the best place for you and me. And then we had a, a, a Sunday where I, I just talked about when you're seeking a spouse. And we, we opened up the book of Genesis and we looked at Isaac and Rebecca. And, and I basically said this. I had to fix it later because I kind of had a mental block that Sunday, if you remember. Uh, but uh, here's, here's what I was trying to say that day. Is the number one priority when seeking a spouse is, the, is you're looking for the kind of person that they are. If you read through the account of, of Isaac and Rebekah, you'll see that Abraham, Isaac's father, sent his greatest, most trusted servant to the, to the land of his family to find a spouse for a son. So Isaac was not even a part of the picture. Isaac's dad was not even part of the picture. Isaac's most trusted servant was the one pioneering this movement. Why? It's because it's obvious the kind of person that you walk into a marriage covenant with is the kind of person, not just if you're attracted to them or not. Looks are good. They're just not first. So we we saw in the account of Isaac and Rebecca that the number one priority in marriage is the kind of person they are. Listen, this flies in the face of our culture. You know what our culture says? Our culture says that it's the kind of person you're attracted to. It's the kind of person you're attracted to, all right? Are you attracted to dudes with muscles? Are you attracted to girls who drive trucks? Are you attracted to, you know, in in this culture, you can be attracted to anything that you say that you are. Tractors, right? She thinks my tractor is sexy. Wow, right? So yeah, you can be attracted to anything. Animals, it gets perverse and weird. Listen, none of that is first. Most of it needs to become subservient to the designer, all right, you know the number one priority that God wants to write on your heart as far as the, the person that you will one day marry? You know the kind of, you, you know the eyes that you need to have is not for a person that, where you go, wow, look how attractive she is, but, you, the, but the kind of eyes that say, look at the kind of character they possess. All right, our culture centers everything on the kind of person we're attracted to. And listen, my friends, that is the serious problem. Because attraction wears off, attraction changes. But if you've married a person who who has the heart of a champion, the heart of a warrior, a warrior, the heart of gold, the someone that first and foremost treasures Jesus above all other things, that is actually where you start. So you look at the heart of the person, and that flies uh, that flies crazy style in the. Uh, against the culture, against the the current of our culture, I'm just calling you guys, if you're in the place where you have to make the second greatest decision of your life, the first is following Jesus, receiving him as Lord and Savior. The second one is who you marry. If you have the weight of that decision, begin to look at the heart first. It's my greatest advice on this one, all right? This is all recap, right? Today... I'm discussing with my last few moments uh, biblical masculinity. And it's such a small subject. I can do it in 20, right? So uh, I'm going to try. Most of it is recap. But if you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3... Um, the, the, it is recapped because I did a series called Being a Man last year. It's actually last October. We spent most of the month of October looking at what biblical masculinity is. Let me tell you why I'm talking. I'm starting with biblical masculinity instead of biblical femininity. It's not because men are more important than women. That is not it at all. It's because we're getting it wrong the most when it comes to masculinity. Did you know this? That That the... Biblically speaking, men bestow identity on a generation. It is a calling that God has put on men in the land to actually bestow identity on a generation. And one of the best passages you can see this is actually the Father speaking over the Son in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. This is John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus. And during the baptism, you see in Matthew chapter three, verse 17, it says, and behold, behold means, hey, look at this. Behold, a voice from heaven said, the voice was the voice of the father. Behold, a voice, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Now there's so much theological depth and weight and significance to that one uh that one time it's like like the father's voice doesn't like come for I- within earshot often but when it does he spares no words they all matter hello And so here is a passage where we've got the father speaking over his son in a very very significant way and he's he's uh he's telling us many things, but one of the things is, this is the Messiah that you've been waiting for. How how are you missing it? That is one of the things that he's saying. But he's also speaking to the, the heart of men, in my opinion, in a massive way, a massive way. I would say that our culture is not producing biblical men kingdom men, but it is producing what, what some uh, scholars and what some pastors and what some leaders would say, the kosher is producing self-made men. And a self-made man is the kind of man that has to figure out life on his own. He didn't have a dad or he didn't have a community of men to say, this is how you do it. This is how you treat people. This is how you drive. This is how you work. This is when you get up. But a self-made man is someone who has to figure it out on his own. And usually when he figures it out on his own, it it comes in the form of of wealth or influence. And so he's operating in the the perception that he's become a man. But all he is is wealthy, often not a man. And these self-made men are celebrated today. But a self-made man is actually a curse that needs to be broken. And it gets broken in the context of biblical community when we understand what the father was speaking over the son and what what he's speaking actually into the heart of men in a generation. A self-made man is an uninitiated man. Someone that's never had a community of men to tell him that he is a man. How, why, and when. It's an uncertain man, someone that, that's operating in security and, and usually just does what everybody else thinks he should do and has, has no backbone to stand against the current. Or, uh, or we could just say it like this. This is how they say it on the street, I think, but it's like just you're like a boy in a man's body. Do you know that masculinity has no age? Just because you're 50 years old does not mean that you're a man, and just because you're 17 doesn't mean that you're not there is no age on this, all right? But there is a process that has to happen in order for you to actually become a man, all right? This is, uh, this is so, so important. We're missing it in our culture, in our society. The, in order to become a man, the deep question of a man's soul has to be answered. And when it is not answered, usually you see, I'll just call them men, but self-made men Uh, walking in self-promotion. You see that? Did you see what I did? Did you see what I did? Did you see what I did? And it gets annoying because their question hasn't been answered. Self-promotion, insecurity. They're afraid to take a stand anywhere. They shy away from everything. They operate in passivity. Uh, They they cover up their lack of masculinity with niceness. Do you know that that real biblical men are, are meek do you know what meek means? That you're like, you, you know how to use a sword and you also know how to keep it sheathed. All right? So it's not that you're not dangerous, it's that you're not a danger. You're a man. And, and then also then, that, then uh, uh, self-made men also operate in a whole lot of anger because if you, if you supply a decade or two or three to, to your heart where your heart has never had the question answered, this, 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 this question that God wrote on our image. If you never have that question answered, you get angry and you take it out on others, all right? So that's self-made men, and then our culture is also producing what, what we hear, it's like a, you know, this is like, we hear a lot about toxic masculinity. It's not biblical, masu- biblical masculinity in general is not toxic. Biblical masculinity is, is, a, is a fresh drink to society. Toxic masculinity is, listen, it's not masculinity at all. Toxic masculinity is is selfishness. It is arrogance. It is abusiveness. Toxic masculinity uses people instead of serves people, blames people instead of taking responsibility. That's toxic masculinity, all right? And it hurts, it hurts the world, Uh, On the other hand, we're losing a biblical masculinity. Biblical masculinity is strong and it's dangerous, but it uses its strength to serve, protect, lay down lives, empower, and ultimately take responsibility. That's biblical masculinity. Proverbs chapter 17, verse six says this, grandchildren are the crown of the aged. And listen to this, the glory of children is their father's the glory of children is their fathers. In other words, the beauty of children, where children get their beauty is not in being handed out a bunch of cash or not being, being put in the position of this or it's not what you can afford. The beauty of children is their fathers. Now that is weighty and significant. Here's my question, what if we remove fathers from children? And that is exactly what is happening in our society. There's a 54% divorce rate. More than that, many, many kids, are they, they know who their dad is, but their dad doesn't live in their house. And then a countless multitude of children just don't know who their dad is. And they're not losing their fathers to war. They're losing their fathers to bad decisions of just of absence, and this is where many of us find ourselves with a de- deep ache for a father. I don't want to be a self-made man. I want you, dad, or I want you, spiritual fathers, to help me become a man. And I have an ache in my soul that, Father, you spoke into your son, but I'm desiring that for me. I'm really, I'm really desiring initiation into manhood. I've got to have my man heart questions answered so Matthew 3 like we just read behold a voice from heaven said this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased this speaks to a few things that that men are supposed to do for a generation to promote biblical masculinity instead of toxic masculinity here's the first one is that fathers bestow identity and the way that fathers bestow identity is by speaking belonging value and identity over them into them and all around them for all of their days It's not a one-time thing. What that looks like is this when it says, and behold, a voice from heaven said, so in other words, this is the father speaking, not not sending out a vibe, but actually saying the words with his own mouth. He's saying this. He says, this is mine. Now I want to stop right there because this is what the father is speaking over the son. He's saying, son, you're mine. You are mine. Like it or not, you're mine. You belong to me. Like it or not, whether you, if you want to run from me like the prodigal, even in the pigsty, you will be mine. You can't escape the mindness that you're operating under. It's belonging. It's belonging. This is what a, genera- a generation of young boys has no clue whose they are. Whose they are. You and a, dads, if you don't know how to parent, listen, you don't need to grab the next book. You need to start speaking mine over your kids. It's the word to speak, you are mine, you are mine. And then it says, you are my beloved. So what fathers do in, in the same lane as the heavenly father is they not only speak belonging, but they speak value. You are mine and you are beloved. You are loved. You are loved. You are my beloved. Speak that over. John Eldridge in his book, Fathered by God, says this, before a boy can become a man, he must know that he is his father's beloved, the apple of his eye. Now, lots of times we say, people don't need to know they're loved. That's sissy. That's what. no, no, no. It is the foundation to masculinity. You have to know you're loved. And you have to know you're loved. Mom's love is so ridiculously important, but you have to know you're loved by your father or a community of men have to call you beloved. It is so important in the masculine journey. And listen to this. Jesus, at his baptism, knows that he knows that he knows. It's spoken to him, but publicly, he knows that he is adored by his dad. You hear that? His dad's not ashamed of him. I think this is the difference for me. I I've I had a a stepdad who was a father or who was uh you know a stepfather to me. He was a farmer. And uh I was kind of like his right-hand man some between, you know, 12 and 15 16 years old. He taught me how to drive a truck when I was 12. He taught me how to shoot a gun at about the same time. In fact, I'd drive around the farm in his old truck with a loaded gun. It was fun. When I came home from school, I would grab my gun I'd go shoot geese or really whatever I wanted because it was it was Crop damage, you know, it was great to break the law with my stepfather's, uh, you know, uh, approval. It was wonderful, but uh, I, I felt like I was, I was empowered. It's like, this guy trusts me with a loaded weapon. This guy trusts me in his pickup truck. There was something significant about that. But he worked me like a slave, used me like a dog. And, and, and the thing is, I knew I was useful to my stepdad, and I wanted his approval so much that my answer was just always, yes, 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 yes. Whenever he'd ask me to do something, I never wanted him to feel like he, like I was letting him down. It's the cry of the young man's heart. I want to be accepted by a man that I watched wrestle wild mustangs down to the ground and sit on them. I was like, that is a strong man. I can do anything I can to be accepted by him. And I was going after his acceptance like crazy. The problem is that is not kingdom. You don't strive to, and, and let yourself be used so someone will like you for your usefulness. That's not sonship. That's not kingdom. That's how, not how the father works. Do you know that, that Jesus had the father speaking, you are mine. I'm pleased with you and proud of you before he even started his earthly ministry. So the father's not saying, good job. You did it exactly. You're so useful to me, boy. You did exactly what I asked you to do. That is not what the Father is saying. Jesus just knows he's loved before he's used. And I think that the difference between that, while my dad didn't teach me how to fix a car, he didn't teach me how to shoot a gun, Uh, I knew that I was stronger physically than my dad when I was 17 years old and we're at the Outer Banks and a storm blows through and it's knocking our camper over and I, I was awakened to my dad screaming for help. I go outside and my dad has to run in and he cries or something and then I'm outside holding the whole thing down. I walk back into the camper knowing, physically speaking, I'm stronger than Pops, all right? but I knew that I knew that I knew that my dad loved me no matter what, even if I wasn't. I knew that I was loved by my father, and that was the difference between you got this one guy that seems like he's massively uh, masculine, wrestling horses and showing me how to shoot, but using me compared to a dad that I knew I could beat in an arm wrestling match, but I was his beloved, you see. And this... So incredibly important, guys. So incredibly important. And then the father speaks identity over Jesus. Just And that is the call. This is what fathers do for a generation. They speak belonging, your mind, value, your loved, identity, son. Notice that the father is not asking Jesus how he identifies. It's really important. I, I, I know it's like... I, I, I I, I actually don't want it to be funny, you know, I want it to hit good, but I know that that is the push in our day, or if you don't ask your kids how they identify, then you're a bad parent. Like, parents, can I tell you, with love, no matter how your kids identify, all right, you hug them, you love on them, you want them, all right, they're not, they're not a, a shame to you, they're not anything, but the father's not asking the son, how do you identify today? The father is telling the son who he is, and this is a skill that we don't have, for the, uh, Behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. Okay? If your son comes to you and says, you know, I feel like a girl today. You say, you know what? Your feelings are weird. You can feel different things on different days. I just want you to hear from me that you're not a girl. You're my boy. Hey, dad, I'm kind of feeling like a cat today, your daughter says. Well, you can feel like a cat all you want. L- lick your hands. Pretend they're paws. All, you are loved by me. You're loved by me, whether you're a cat girl or whether you're, you, know, you feel like you're a bird or whether you feel like you're a boy. No matter what you're identifying as, I'm telling you who you are. You're my daughter. And so we're, since we're losing biblical masculinity, we're losing identity in a society. It's no wonder that a society is trying to destroy all masculinity and call it toxic. because we need it so badly It is really one of the ways that the kingdom operates. All right. I'll say this, though, that if masculinity or femininity is not bestowed by fathers, it will be sought out and defined on its own. The father's answer Fathers answer the question of a man's soul. And the, the, the question of a man's whole soul is the second half of Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. The first half is, this is my beloved son. That's what fathers speak over a generation. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That's the answer to the masculine heart. Are you pleased with me? Am I the apple of your eye? Do you think that I have what it takes? Am I strong enough, brave enough? courageous enough. I don't feel like a dad. I need to know what you say. And the father says to his son, the father that speaks to the, when you're just speaking, you're not speaking to the kid's brain. You're not speaking to the kid's ear. You're speaking to the kid's soul. You have what it takes. And often dads don't know how to say that. They've never had someone do that for them, but that speaks to the question of a man's heart. That's what the father is speaking over Jesus. You have what it takes. I know that you're going to do what I assigned for you to do. I know who you are. I know whose you are. That is the question Do I have what it takes? With whom I am well pleased? That is a, a message that so many children have just not heard from their fathers. Where when they ask the question Do you like me? Are you pleased with me? Do I belong here? The answer is I am pleased with you. I am delighted. In you, I am proud of you, it's not about accomplishment, it's from day one, you're mine, you belong, and I know that you've got what it takes. Something that, you know, if, if even infants don't hear this and feel this, there's something happens in their soul. All right. This is not, this is before Jesus started his ministry. This is, uh, this is not based on past accomplishments. This is based on pleasure, pleasure in the beloved. In this case, pleasure in the son. That's why love is so powerful. it it becomes the pathway where other masculine messages can travel on. But if you don't have that, if you don't have love established, you're just going to be macho, but on the surface, not to the soul. I'm just recommending that uh, this morning that, that that statement is the answer to the question of a man's heart. You have what it takes. Now let me say this, that the question must be answered by fathers. It must be answered by fathers or a community of men the question cannot be answered by moms or grandparents, grandmoms, or a community of women as well-intentioned as they may be and as strong and powerful as they may be, as, as strong as they wield the word or the spirit. They can't answer that question for a young boy. Moms are amazing, but they can't a- answer this question for their sons. And you know who else can't answer the question is Wives. Wives are wonderful, but they can't answer that question for their husbands. And many men get married hoping that, hoping that their wife will, will answer this question. Am I a man? Am I a man? Am I a man? Wives, let me tell you, when you're looking for a husband, this is what you look for first. Do they know who they are? Whose they are? Have they had the question answered? Who are the men in their life? Do they have a dad? If not, who's their spiritual dad or dads? I need to know these men. Need to know these men that have helped shape and make my potential husband. I need to know because listen, wife. As much as you love your husband, as much as you believe in him or respect him, you can't make him a man. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. The the it, when this question isn't answered, what happens is uh, we're just calling this the father wound. I would say I don't I don't know if if any man gets out alive on this one. Because even the best earthly fathers wound their sons and daughters. You just don't get out. You, you, there's Listen, we're imperfect and we fail. We operate in anger, yelling, what, whatever. We, we say stuff. I can even think as much as I knew my dad loved me, I remember. I remember <laughs> some of the things my dad said to me and we had to go back and get some healing on that. I definitely remember things that that my uh, stepdad told me, constantly accusing me of being homosexual because I wasn't chasing girls around. I remember he walked in, I'm watching MacGyver in the 90s. And he, he says, you're a good looking boy. And back then I was, all right? He was absolutely rock solid true, all right? Like I was. You know, like some of this extra flubber and stuff that I have now, like I'm telling you, you couldn't see that. I was just like, I was a farm boy. It's just, I needed to have my shirt off. I really did. I, pr- I promise you, you would have liked what you saw, okay? But uh, but he walks in and, he's, and he says, you're a good looking boy. Why don't we have just, why don't you have girlfriends? He said, are you gay or something? And he just doesn't understand what those words do, because you take a someone you watch wrestle horses and shoot rabid raccoons when they attack the farm, and then that person is asking you if you're gay. Oh, man, did that one hurt? Good thing I had a real dad to tell me that I wasn't and to tell me who I was and whose I was. Fathers have, you have to hear this from dads. I'm pleased with you. I'm pleased with you. I'm pleased with you. Guys, listen, you know the, the world if we're raising sons and daughters that aren't, aren't dating, you know like crazy, <laughs> and they're actually trying to walk in purity and, and, and keep themselves for their spouse, the the world is going to tell them other messages than the reality. The world doesn't understand purity. <laughs> Right, if you're not liking all the photos on it's interesting that that uh, now how we try to attract the attention of the opposite sex is as we selfie ourselves to death, and it's interesting that we're being programmed that someone who takes mostly nude pictures of themselves and posts that for the world to see is more attractive than a person from behind the scenes who serves <laughs> It's like a selfie culture instead of a servant culture. And it's so jacked up, guys. Here's some of the things that dads say to to sons or daughters. You'll never amount to anything. You can't work like that. Aren't you a man? Grow a pair. You're a wimp. You're a mama's boy. Or perhaps the worst message that a father can communicate is the message of silence. In other words, he doesn't say a thing even in your general direction. And when a boy needed to hear the father's voice, there was nothing. Do you know that most men stop maturing where they were hurt? You know that? Most men stop maturing where they're hurt. Like just uh, there's like a science behind it. You you go back and you're like, "Man, you're 51. Why do you act 11? Why are you still trying to show us how big your truck is? Why does that even matter?" Have a big truck. I don't care, but it's not, it's, not like, it's not what you're trying to make it. Why do you need to show us all this? It's just, listen, guys, listen. Here's where grace enters and can win the day. It's, it's because they were hurt and never healed. They stopped emotionally maturing. That they got, they got bigger on the outside, and they stayed the same on the inside. It's where they were hurt. You can be 39 and 9. You can be 51 and 11 Age has nothing to do with your mas- masculinity. If you weren't initiated into manhood and healed, you will stay where you were hurt. And In the church, we uh, see masculinity abused, don't we? There's lots of, it, the, here's where I see it in the church. I'm going to wrap this up here in j- just a moment. I know that I'm over, but I, I feel like you need to hear this. In the church, we see masculinity abused when we talk about headship and submission, can I tell you this? Can I, can I tell you what submission is not? So I saw this. I grew up in the Brethren in Christ Church. And I, mean, I hope that God's done revival in the Brethren in Christ Church. I'm not trying to throw them under the bus. I'm just trying to say what I learned in that denomination. Is I learned that my mom's place was the piano, and she didn't play the piano. So she had to, she had to be in the place called the kitchen, and she had to perform well there and i just started seeing this undervaluing of women and then attached to that was the word submission and you just need to submit or in other words obey your husband and you can read i don't i don't have time to get into it now but ephesians chapter 5 starting with verse 22 to verse 24 you can see where the bible says you know wives submit to your husbands as to the lord and it gives a good rundown. But if you put that through the filter of the weird whack job churches that we've experienced or the controlling leaders who didn't know the love of the Father and are just trying to, just, just trying to control people, you actually missed the beauty of all this. this. It's interesting that all women are not supposed to submit to all men. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands. All right? So submission happens in the context of covenant in marriage. And it's not, submission is not obedience. It's not like your wife has to obey like children are supposed to obey. That's not it at all. This is the kind of, of submission that like Jesus modeled when he submitted to his father. They're both inseparably united. One is not better than the other. And then you still see in the, a kingdom way, you see Jesus saying to the father, man, not my will but yours. I want to talk about headship for a second. I'm going to circle back to that one. I'm going to leave you hanging. But headship, you know what headship is not? I hear this all the time. Listen, I'll go toe to toe with you on this one. I'm tired of seeing it ravage the church. But headship is not leadership. I, I hear this one in this church too often. Because you're the head of your home doesn't mean that you're a leader. Let's not confuse a position with a gift. Leadership is a gift. And just because someone is in the position of a husband doesn't mean they're a gifted leader. Just because you're a husband does not mean that you know how to lead. Headship is a responsibility. It's not a leadership gift from the Holy Spirit. And sometimes husbands are in the position, biblically speaking, of head, but their wives are the more gifted leader. And in controlling churches, you've got got this this pressure for husbands to lead and lead and lead and lead and lead. You're the head, you're the head, you're the leader, you're the leader. That's not what it means. In in real headship in, in the home, a husband should be able to recognize, man, I'm not as good of a leader as my wife. And because he's a man, that does nothing to his identity. And he says, I need help here. Can you lead? man. Real biblical masculinity, real headship in the home actually frees women up to be who they are. It doesn't squelch them down to kitchen stoves. So God is, God is using marriage once again as a model for relationship with him as, a ch- as the church submits to Christ. Listen, the church, let me, let me tell you what I really believe about, about headship and submission is that the church does not try to pay for sins like Jesus, who is the head of the church. Jesus paid for the sins by dying for our sins. As the head of the church, he paid what needed to be paid, all right? The, the church does not pay, we don't try to pay for our sins. We say, Jesus, you did that. You laid down your life because you're the head, So, biblical headship and submission is is wives allowing husbands to die first. You got to hear this. It's wives allowing husbands to die first. It's wives allowing husbands to die first. Any death that needs to be died, any attacker that's coming in, husbands like, I'm dying first. I'm dying first. Any argument? It should be the husband that's dying first to his own agenda, to his own sin. I taught uh, my, uh, my son is a little boy. I think maybe he was 8 or 10. And I told him a couple times. I, this is kind of morbid, so I didn't like pound this into his, you know, the psyche. But I said, hey, listen, if you're ever out playing in the yard with your sisters and a mean dog runs in the yard, okay, listen, I want you to fight the dog and tell your sisters to run, all right? Here's why, is because, because boys protect girls. So you die first, you die first. You fight the dog and you let your sisters run. I tell you what, when, when, when homeboys come to try to date my daughters, this is the first conversation I'm having. As, as I have a knife strapped to my belt and as I'm oiling a gun, I promise, all right. I'm going to have my 308 strapped to my back. I'm going to have my nine in my hands. And there's going to be a lot of oil involved. I pr- I, listen, I, no joke here. And I'm going to ask them a question. Are you willing to die for my daughter? Are you willing to die for my girl? Because I am here. And I'm not going to have them downgraded. All right. You willing to die? Not, not downgrading my girls. So, so, so important. Biblical masculinity and headship frees up women to run wild. And it's secure enough to die. And this is what we need in the church so bad. We don't need controlling men that don't know how to lead, but just want to feel the power of some type of title. We need to have leaders in the church that just know how to die and see, uh, and unafraid of other people's greatness. Do you know that dads aren't in competitions? with their sons and their daughters. Do you know that? They're not in competition. And in fact, a real father says, I want to be the floor. Walk on me. Walk on me. Use me to go to higher heights. And this is what we need in the church. Amen to this? Amen. Can we just bow our heads for a moment? Man, so much was said here, God. This, this, could, this sermon today, God, could be, a man, a series in itself. Man, we need this more and more and more. God, we need this. We need this more. Real women, real men, real fathers, real mothers, real kingdom family. God, the deluge of the perversion of all this. And we just purpose in our hearts that we're not going to be angry at the world. We're not going to shout at the world, you're getting it wrong. And we're not going to insulate our kids. God, we, Lord, like arrows in the hands of a warrior our children in one's youth. Let us disciple and train our kids and shoot them into the darkness. Use our children, God, in powerful ways, full of your spirit, carrying your presence. But God, I just pray specifically for men right now that just need some healing, that have never been initiated, that have been celebrating the reality that they're quote-unquote self-made. God, just this morning, we just ask, Lord, that you would touch them, you would minister to them, you would heal them right where they're at, then just, just be bold for a moment. Just ask the Father for this, for masculine initiation as sons. God, speak this into hearts. Speak this over your boys here. Let us be mighty men in these days, not controlling, not just nice, but strong like you've called men to be we just bless you, God. I pray for every family here. I pray for every person here. I just pray for people, God, that we could grasp a hold of this. The Holy Spirit, just come and do what you do in power now. I ask and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out our Sermon of the Week. If you have questions or would like to get connected, download our app or visit us at ProvidenceCommunity.org